BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. By the way, do you know what NASCAR is? I know of it. Okay, so that's all I need to know. So it's racing and it's very Trumpian and MAGA. Uh, yeah. They're having a race in Chicago. I'm not making this up. They're having a race in Chicago this weekend. There's a gay driver. Oh, yes. <laughs> Representation matters. We love to see it. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, June 30th starts now. On today's show for Oh What a Week, Ben welcomes special guest, comedian, podcaster, and international man of mystery, Bash Hendra. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. If you want to know it, you can find out at ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky content, hey, it's there and it's free. It's all F-R-E-E. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Another Oh, What a Week Friday it is. And uh, what should I call What a Week Supreme Court? Man, man, oh, man, oh, man. Everything. I was just telling my distinguished guest, Bass Hendra, who's going to be joining me for uh, talking about things that happened this week, stuff that's on his mind. Great comedian, podcaster, et cetera, and so forth. But everything I was planning to write, talk about, I can't talk about because the Supremes, boom, boom, boom. In the last 24 hours, three uh, decisions, man, it's a magna court. If you had any doubt, ladies and gentlemen, they have just ended that doubt. Boom, boom, boom. Yesterday, we talked about it. It broke right before we went on the air. Uh, they abolished affirmative action in university admissions. They ruled that racism is over regarding black people and that if you do anything to help black people, you're actually hurting white people. It's an interesting little concept. Six to three, the MAGA judges ruled for that one. Uh, today. Boom, they abolished forgiving student loan, pay up that money. <laughs> they cooked up some cockamamie legal reason for it. They always do. You know, yeah, let's figure out how we can justify screwing people over. I got it. We'll, we'll say oh, Biden's overstepped his bounds. Anyway, uh, they ruled. Uh, so you got to pay that money. And then this one, man, this one's a trip right here because it kind of contradicts the one uh, dealing with uh, admissions, affirmative action. They abolished gay rights. Yeah, they did. Uh, in uh, today's ruling, which was announced, follow me on this one, ladies and gentlemen. There is a graphic designer in Colorado uh, who sets, says that she has a constitutional right uh, not to do design work uh, for gay marriages. That this is her religious conviction and her religious uh, feeling. And so she has a constitutional right to put language on her website that I will not design invitations, I don't know, photo books, whatever, 
for gay marriages. Matter went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the six MAGA judges got together and they said, well, of course she does. This is America. And I will now read to you the key part of the ruling here. Neil Gorsuch, Justice Neil Gorsuch said, the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our republic strong. Man, I can't believe he writes this stuff (laughs) without cracking up. You know what I'm saying? This is what keeps our republic strong? Like saying, I openly discriminate against gay people? Then he said, the First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they want without government interference. Wow. So let's just put it together here, ladies and gentlemen. On, what was it, Thursday, they ruled that it was discrimination if Harvard or North Carolina University or any any college or university in the United States of America decided to give a break to black people. That's discrimination against white people. And then on Friday, they rule that it's just okay to discriminate against gays. So let me get this straight. You're allowed to discriminate against gays, but you can't discriminate against white people as a general class. That violates our cherished republic. It's a little inconsistent there, Supremes. You know what I'm saying? What if you just substituted the language? uh, If that graphic designer said, I don't want to have to do weddings for black people. Or I don't want to do weddings for white people. Or I don't want to do weddings for Jewish people etc and so forth why is it okay to have a first amendment protected right to openly and blatantly discriminate against gay people but it's wrong (laughs) to give a break to a black person and you know what's so weird neil gorsuch this supreme court justice I've been following him. And Jim Coogan, this is a shout out to you. Jim Coogan, Ace attorney, comes on the show. We talk about Neil Gorsuch all the time. Like, where's he going? He's a MAGA man. Trump appointed to the court. He's got this fierce belief in protecting the rights of Native Americans. Like Native American treaties. I'm, I'm with him on this one. The government cut a deal with the Native American tribe back in the 19th century. And now, what is it? Uh, 150 years later, whatever it is. The U.S. government wants to tear up that treaty, so to speak, and ignore that treaty and violate that treaty. Like Clarence Thomas's attitude is, yeah, so what? Who cares about that treaty? Neil Gorsuch says, no, a treaty's a treaty. A deal is a deal. It's a contract. You cut a deal. We have to, we cannot overlook the historical ramifications of these decisions we're making where we violated one promise after another. Well, Neil Gorsuch, what about 40 acres and a mule? That was the promise that the government made to freed black slaves in the 1860s when the Civil War ended. And they finally, finally abolished slavery in this country. They've broken one promise after another to black people. So when like Harvard or University of North Carolina or any university, like, Gives a break to a black person in admissions. It's kind of, sort of, a little bit like 
making good on promises that were broken. But no. Gorsuch feels that any promise made to a Native American is sacred. It must be upheld. But any promise made to a black person is somehow or other discriminatory against white people. I don't think these dudes think about what, like the principal consistencies or inconsistencies of what they say. They're following a political agenda. And their political agenda tells them that white people will feel picked on or discriminated against if they think a black person is getting ahead of them. And that's when they like start quoting Martin Luther King. You know, we should not look at the color of the skin. It's the content of the character. But they, the one phrase from Martin Luther King that they quote, ignoring all the other. Weird, weird stuff to think that, um, that people have a religious right to discriminate against gays. I, hey, here's my suggestion to Harvard and all the other universities. If you want to keep your affirmative action program, say it's based on a religious belief. Say your God has told you that you should give black applicants a little push, a little nudge, a little just to make up for slavery. That kind of like a mini reparations, mini, 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 mini reparations. That you're, that's what your God tells you. And that for anyone to say you can't do it is an infringement on your religious liberty. That's what you should argue. Man, I can just see that argument. Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Well, what the hell we do with this one? Don't worry. They'll come up. <laughs> They'll cook it up. They got these smart law clerks, you know, those little geeky guys in the back room from the Federal Society. They'll cook up some cockamamie legal uh, argument to justify why Harvard does not have a religious right to give a break to a black person, but some graphic designer in Colorado has a religious right to discriminate against gay people. Heck of a Supreme Court, ladies and gentlemen. That's your Supreme Court, MAGA. That's your Supreme Court. All right, without further ado, uh, Bash Hendra has been very patiently sitting through uh, what I would call my reason argument. Others might call it a, uh, a rant. Uh, and uh, so welcome to the show, Bash Hendra. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's definitely a rant if you use the word cockamamie more than once. <laughs> and so you qualify, you qualify there. But I, I like your idea. I feel like MIT should just come out and be like, we've actually put the leading scientists on it in the world and discovered that God is both gay and black. So we're going to have to rethink everything, guys. Uh, that's they, have the, they have the credibility. They have the credibility. By the way, you could tell it's a boomer rant when I do cockamamie. Uh, <laughs> cockamamie. I God loved it. damn it. <laughs> um, so uh, Bash Hendra is his name. A historical Homos is the name of his very funny podcast. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit when we bring uh, bring the discussion to NASCAR coming to Chicago, because there is, I discovered as one openly gay NASCAR driver. So I'm hoping that you do an episode uh, dedicated to uh, gay drivers in history. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so beware, beware of. So why don't you just uh, before we get started on your thoughts about some of the big news items of the week, tell folks a little bit about yourself, your podcast, et cetera. Take it away, Bash. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Bash. I go by Bash. Just, I th I'm, I'm trying the mononym thing, just like Cher or Madonna. I'm going to see if I can build up to that. Um, but 
I am a amateur historian, writer. I care a lot about history. I think history matters a lot more than people realize. Um, a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about is deeply rooted in history that people gloss over all the time. Um, my friend, my friend, who's a law, Yale Law School graduate, was explaining the the ruling to me over affirmative action today, and um, you know, it's all it's been cooking for a long time. This is this shouldn't come as a this decision shouldn't come as a surprise for us. And I actually don't think it's purely the MAGA judges. I think it's been it's the product of a slow process of chipping away at affirmative action for fifty years now since it was first. Um, instated. But anyway, back to me. Um, I studied history. I studied classics. I love ancient history. And I started Historical Homos because I kept discovering all of these stories about queer people, LGBTQ plus people in history that nobody had ever told me were gay. People like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Virginia Woolf, Plato. All of these people are queer in one way or another. So the idea of the podcast and of the project has always been to celebrate that and to reposition, you know, uh, to give LGBTQ plus people in history their fair dues. Um, we've always contributed to all of the great fields of human achievement at the highest level. And we weren't just invented in the last hundred years or so uh, after people came up with the word homosexual and heterosexual. So that's my little origin story in the making. Um, and the thing actually that you, I was thinking of while you were talking is, um, I don't know if you saw this little clip of Whoopi Goldberg on The View, but she, she was going on about how she's so tired of people in, in America in the sort of cultural discourse and with this kind of political you know, polarizing stuff, so tired of people putting their stuff on her. Do you know what I mean? And 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 it reminded me of uh that that reminds me of the 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 gay case because this woman is just insisting that gay people are putting their our stuff on her and somehow preventing her from doing her you know doing her job with uh with a good conscience bitch we're giving you money <laughs> like we're helping you we are helping you and the idea we have this idea in america that freedom means only having to do what you want to do and what yeah. you believe in. But freedom, the principle of freedom, means respecting that everybody has a right to do what they believe in. That's very different, okay. you know? And it's a very, it's, it's such a childish thing that we just can't seem to get over in this country. Um, all right, well, let's focus on that. Uh, see, I told you that the show is famous for tangents and we almost <laughs> never get to the, the agenda that we laborious spend time uh, creating. But since you raised the point, it's a good one. So let's focus on that. All right. So the notion in this country that we are free, uh, but <laughs> there's also like uh, an asterisk next to that. I'm free to do what I want to do. You're not free to do what you want to do. So in the case of Colorado, as I just pointed out, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, has ruled that that graphic designer is free. She has a religious right, freedom, liberty, not to um, design wedding cards for gay people. Religious right to do that. Uh, but some school teacher in Florida is not free to speak openly about, I don't know, they probably could not play uh, a, a episode of historical homos. I will bet you right. that if they, if there was like a 
I'm not even talking about a fourth grade teacher, a freshman a year high school teacher wanted to play an episode of historical homos to talk about homosexuals in the Greek empire or whatever, uh, he or she would be banned. Please help 100%. Me understand why people see can claim a freedom for themselves, but not for others. I mean, I, I actually think that all of this is funded by conservative Christians. Like th this woman did not need to take this course, this case to the court, right? If you don't want to serve a gay couple with your graphic design services, go ahead. Don't serve us. Like, shut up. Go, go about your life and, you know, don't take our money. The reason that this case made it this far is because people are funding it, pushing it to go that far so that people are talking about it, right? That's what matters much more is that we're talking about homosexuality as something that has the right to be rejected. Mm -hmm. And it, it constructs homosexuality as this sort of newfangled thing versus religious belief, religious freedom, relationships with God, which are a much older and much more sacrosanct thing that we that deserve to be protected. And the truth is, though, it does deserve to be protected. Your religious freedom does deserve to be protected. But in in a democracy, the right to believe what you want to believe means you have to respect that right for everybody else. Nobody is nobody is ready for that. We're still little babies in our democracy, screaming and crying and kicking and saying, no, I only want to do my version. You know what I mean? And that that's the thing that I think that we haven't, you know, it's it's not about whether the gay agenda is right or the Christian agenda or whatever. It's about us not respecting the fundamental principle of what it means to be free in a democracy. It means you don't get to do only your version of what you believe. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't believe. Uh, I don't know if you believe what you, you said something uh, in your middle of your riff. I'm not sure if you, I took it out to the full consequence you believe in it but uh religious freedom to do what you want i don't believe we have uh religious freedom to do what we want i do not believe i believe that there is something inherently unlawful about uh dis openly discriminating against a group of people uh, based on nothing other than those people now we could take it down to, we could take it all the way down with examples like should a business have the right uh, not to serve somebody who comes in barefooted or shirtless or what have you, you know, that put that to a side. I, I actually do believe they have a right to do that, but whole groups of people to discriminate against them for no reason other than who they are. I, I just don't see, well, I don't see I that. Go ahead. I think you're making a good point, though, because there's a difference between conduct, behavior and identity. Right. And basically what this what this woman is saying, who refused her graph, her oh, so fantastic graphic design services to this gay couple. Um, what this woman is saying is that gayness is a behavior, that gayness is like not having your shoes on in a public place or not having your shirt. And that's bullshit. It's. It's who we are, right? It's not just what we do. Um, that that is actually, you know, to you put my queer historian cap on for a moment. That is the big change that happened in the last two hundred years. Is that gayness, queerness, homosexuality 
evolved from being just something that people generally believed was just a behavior or a pastime or a preference and turned into a full-fledged identity, right? That's related to our social positions, our economic positions, our political positions. It's a part of who we are. It's not so gay marriage to her is a behavior that she has a right to refuse, right? Just like not having your shirt on. And that that is the fucked up um, kernel of this story to me. Gayness is an identity, not a behavior. Uh, and by the way, it's it's always, it's the gay marriage thing that has triggered this. So remember, right. it was the, the the baker in Indiana who didn't want to bake the cake for a gay marriage, right? Uh, you know, it's just like there's something about that marriage. Uh, help me out with that one, Bash. Like, what is it about gay marriage that is so triggering to so many people? Do you think it's just a cover to show how much they hate gay people in general, and they're just, you know using that as their means thoughts no i think i think marriage and this actually relates as well to this to the gender issue which was one of the things i wanted to talk about later elon musk and and his um now denoting cisgender as a slur on twitter um marriage is one of the most fundamental things in human society right it's how we create kinship ties it's how we um ensure that property is passed on so marriage is about money marriage is about blood marriage is about family you know marriage is about the, some of the most fundamental things in civilization and the threat of queer people of lgbtq plus people has always been that we threaten those institutions that we or that we challenge them that we challenge and we destabilize them. So homosexuality, for example, challenges the notion that a family can only, a nuclear family can only exist between a man, woman, and their children, right? That that unit is the only um, viable one in a functioning society. Transgender people challenge the, the notion that there is a binary uh, gender system. And we need that in order to function normally in society. We need that binary. So that's what I think that's what's at play here is marriage is a, is a, is a very important fundamental institution. I would never deny that. Right. Um, but it's, it's the fact that it's being, uh, pecked at challenged by queer people. That's why they find it. So that's why they find gay marriage. So reprehensible. That's why it's such a sticking point for them. Mm. Uh, and uh, so the pushback uh, in general is coming uh, on many fronts. Uh, and I happened to someone text it to me the other day, uh, a Bill Maher riff. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Bill Maher at all. Uh, depends, I, depends on the day. Yes. He's, he's, got, he's got some pretty dicey moments in my yeah. view. But uh, I should have sent this to you as part of the homework assignment. Uh, <laughs> But since I kept changing my mind about what I was going to talk about today, and, I'm not, and I have not talked about any of the things I was going to talk about, uh, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> uh, so Bill Maher went on this riff uh, where he um, cited statistics, and I'm doing this from memory, that showed that uh, the number of Z generation people in other words uh god people born from like what what is the disease 1996 like nine, onward on, or something yeah. like that so people who are roughly let me do the math this is a big moment in ben Jarofsky math people who are <laughs> roughly 25 or so or 27 wow did i do that right man 
Yeah. Uh, I still got it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> so people who are roughly like 18 to 25, 27, uh, I think it's 20% identify as queer. Let's just call it queer. Uh, and then he said, but did you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Did you know that Joe Biden's generation, it was only 1.7%. Something's going on here. And then he made a bunch of jokes in between it. But his 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 theme was that what's happening is that and I'm not making this up, Ash, uh, that people who are roughly 20 years old right now have been groomed. Mm. And in uh, that so they didn't really know what they were, but it was like, oh, I, I, I want to hang out with the cool crowd at school. So right. I'm going to I'm going to be queer. Uh, and now they want operations and it'd, it'd be like a tattoo in five years. You want to remove it. Well, what are you going to do when you remove your penis? I'm not making this up, Bash. This is the man's joke. OK. Yeah, no, and uh, I've, it's, I've heard I've heard many versions of it before. <laughs> all right. So I have many responses to this, but I'd love to hear yours. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the grooming thing is. is particularly irksome to me i think to be quite honest like there is it's not there isn't you know zero truth to the sort of faddishness of of some of this stuff like uh particularly more in the case of like um bisexuality and stuff like that i think as people become more open about their sexuality and their gender identities um, there tends to be more experimentation, right? So I don't know if that 20% of Gen Z is going to stay 20% as they mature into, you know, full, full blown adults. That said, the idea that there's been some kind of grooming or that there's some like agenda pushing this rise is ridiculous to me. The thing that's pushing it is that we're more open about it. Like those people have always been there. They just haven't had the vocabulary. They haven't had the um, they haven't had the, the social, you know, um, acceptance to come out and say what they feel, who they are, what they want to experiment with, etc. So I don't give a shit if you, you know, say that you're trans when you're 17 and then you decide that you're not. That's your business. That's your right. You know, the fact that we have this vocabulary and that we're, we've become more complex in how we're thinking about gender and sexuality is, I think, has so many more benefits that, you know, if you're complaining about it and saying that it's dangerous, like, I don't think you're really seeing what's happening for young people out there, which is that they're getting um, they're getting the chance to speak what they feel inside more vividly, more accurately than they were previously. Not to mention the fact that, you know, in general, it's I mean, it's so much easier for young people to come out nowadays. Um, you know, if you're plain old gay like me, boring old gay like me, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was terrified. I grew up in the 90s. I was terrified to come out. I have the most liber liberal parents in the world. I was terrified. I thought I thought I was going to have to get married and live this whole, you know, double life. I had all these plans when I was nine years old. I was thinking about that. I knew I was gay when I was seven, you know, like so and the 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 lack of trust in kids and teens that all of this talk belies is is also very important 
um, to, to, to bring up as well. The, the way we don't trust kids to know themselves um, is ridiculous. And I can tell you for a fact, I knew who I was well before puberty, well before I should have. I figured it out. I had plans to stay in the closet forever. And then finally, I was, I was drunk one night when I was 16 and it all unraveled. And I've been way happier ever, ever since. So Whoa. it's... I, it, yeah. I mean, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on the drunkenness at 16 or is that too personal to talk about on the Benderovsky show? No, it was actually, it, it was, um, I mean, it was not my finest moment. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you to my sponsors, Stolichnaya and um, Tropicana Orange Juice for um, loosening my tongue that evening. Uh, but basically I had a friend who was a girl um, who I had dated previously and we were playing Never Have I Ever, and which is, you know, you sort of, you, you try to um, catch each other out in things that you've done, but they haven't, uh, or things you haven't done, but they have. And uh, someone said, never have I ever had sex. And I foolishly put my finger down because I had had sex the, the summer previously um, with a girl, no less. And my friend who I had dated was like, what? how dare you like so mad that I hadn't told her. Um, so then, you know, big dr dramatic flourish after another. And eventually she runs downstairs and I'm like, wait, 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 but it doesn't matter. I'm gay. And she was like, I don't care. And got in the car and, and, and drove off. But then I, you know, <laughs> drunk, drunk at 2am, I was like, well, I guess now would be a good time to wake up my entire family and tell them all. And of course, got them all up at 2 a.m., sat them down, and I'm like, I'm gay. And my mom is like, okay. And, and my dad is like, we know. Like, it was the most anticlimactic coming out ever in the history. Hey, you out. had some tolerant parents. It, oh, for my, sure. They're the no, most natural New York well, parents. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That's not what I was getting at. If you woke me up at two in the morning out of a sound sleep, I'd be like, God damn. <laughs> Nobody asked you about your gay. <laughs> you couldn't have told me at breakfast. Uh, I mean, they, they politely were basically saying the same thing. But <laughs> uh, yeah, very tolerant people. Uh, and the funniest part about that story. Uh, well, there are many funny parts about that story is the part where they go. Yeah, we knew. So what do you think? Yeah. You said you knew when you were seven. Okay which is a weird dynamic. Think about it. Like you knew you thought you were thinking about it. All right. Yeah. Like, um, I don't man, kids these days. I don't know if I, when I, I mean, it was so long ago, uh, bash that I was seven. I got to go way back. Okay. Well, you only have to go a little bit back. So I can't remember what was on my mind when I was seven, but I don't think it was sexuality. doesn't matter. Maybe it was. And I just can't remember neither here nor there. Uh, the point is that's somehow or other when you came to the conclusion, uh, that 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 was your future. Okay, let's just put it that way. Uh, so, when do you think? How old were you when your parents knew? Do you follow me? Um, well, I was Princess Jasmine three <laughs> years in a row, beginning at age three. So, I'm pretty sure they clocked it around then. <laughs> you know, I was um, a pretty classic. I I was like uh, an an absolute 
animal, uh, like totally out of control child. Um, but I was pretty smart. And I, I was the I was the type of um, child that the teachers are always like, it's an absolute pleasure to have in class. And those kids, ladies and gentlemen, always turn out gay. Always. <laughs> it's a <Okay>. fact. <laughs> Not true. Okay. Some teacher may have once said that about me. Hey, I could be causative. Uh, well, I, um, wow. So your parents were probably having talks about it. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah. I mean, I think, I think they knew, they, they knew, you know, like they, they had their suspicions. I dated girls. I like brought girls home. You know, I was, um, just another horny teenager taking it where I could get it. Um, but I figured out by around seven or eight, what gay meant. And I figured out that. I was not feeling, I was, play, I was playing let's get married on the playground for very different reasons with the girls in my class um, because I basically wanted to plan the wedding, not because I wanted to start a family. Well, I thought, and this is uh, foolish me, I, I thought that um, we had moved to a, I don't know, new plateau uh, in attitudes uh, toward gays. Um, and I, I've watched this thing politically yeah. and how it's worked its way. See, I'm an obsessive poli uh, political geek, so I follow these things politically. Uh, and I've never tripped on this issue. I got There's a lot of things that uh, trigger me, uh, to quote my millennial friends, uh, but this is not one of them, okay? And uh, it's never have been. I mean, I don't know why, but it just never has been. So I've never been triggered by this notion, never been really threatened by it. So in the 80s, I'd be writing about uh, a gay rights movement here in the city of Chicago. And was like, they're finally getting their act together, uh, acting as a coalition uh, to force politicians to change. And I watched the change in Chicago as uh, mayors became more openly tolerant of gay people because they knew the votes were there. And when they finally uh, put up a gay person as an alderman in the city of Chicago, it was a big deal. Mayor Daley uh, named Tom Tunney to be alderman of the 44th Ward. It was a big deal. Tom Tunney turned out to be the biggest rubber stamper for Mayor Daley in the world. So, like, they use gay people to promote all kinds of hideous social policies. Put that to the side. And that, that mm -hmm. just goes to show you, folks, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're a saint. But... Certainly not. <laughs> Listen Roy to Cohn. historical homos and you'll find that out. Have you had a, a, a bit on Roy Cohn on historical homos? No, no, okay. not. But uh, definitely, okay. definitely on the list. Uh, what a twisted human being. Oh, my God. I, when you do that, let's bring you back and I'll take the deep dive with you. Uh, Roy Cohn, the infamous New York City lawyer, uh, cl deeply closeted gay man, um, would never admit that he was gay, even though he was having sex with men died of AIDS, uh, you see angels in America, if you want to know more about him, uh, and perhaps one of the most influential people in the life of one Donald John Trump. Just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Uh, so anyway, I, I watched the evolution, and um, I watched the evolution in the Democratic Party. So when Barack Obama, follow me in this bash, when Barack Obama was running as a state senator in Hyde Park, which is a relatively affluent community around in and around the, where the University of Chicago is like Columbia, you know, New York. So it's like Columbia. OK. Yeah. And um, he was openly for gay marriage. All right. That was in the mid 90s when Barack Obama, that same Barack Obama was running for Senate. In the Democratic primary and uh, the general election of 2004 for the entire state of Illinois. 
So going beyond the little enclave of liberal Hyde Park, he was against gay marriage. So he devolved. Right. <laughs> and he was like, my religious convictions have me uncertain about this. Okay, So then, hold it. Once safely reelected in 2012, yeah, got that by. Only got one term left, so they can't, you know, that's it. All of a sudden, he has another evolution. I'm for gay marriage. And they, <laughs> uh, and they bathed, they, they sent out a text or something where the, the, the White House is bathed in all kinds of rainbow colors and stuff. I'm like, dude, I've been, I'm so old and watching you. You were for it, you were against it, now you're for it again. So I thought, well, if Barack Obama and centrist Democrats, Rahm Emanuel, et cetera, and so forth, now feel it's politically safe to say that for gay marriage, we have made it. But no, Bash, I believe here comes the counterattack, and now Republicans are using it, and they're using the uh, Trojan horse of parent rights. Mm. And, and Bill Maher and his grooming rhetoric uh, to have a... Uh, move against gay rights your thoughts yeah no i mean the gay marriage it's a good it's a good um representative of uh example of like what happens when we sort of rest on our laurels you know because i grew up in that world as well where we finally got there you know in the what was it the late thousands or so when it was actually passed um federally and um, and that felt like a real a real moment a real transformation for the country, but there's there's this thing with these um, socially progressive sort of advances. They always there's always um, there's cyclical pushback. You know, no matter what it is, affirmative action, gay marriage. It's never it's never like you you make the milestone and then you move forward and and you're done with it. You take two steps forward and then someone's going to push you back. Um, there's a great article by Masha Jessen or, or Gessen. I, I Gessen. always forget how to pronounce Gessen, how to pronounce her name, but. Um, that where she has studied this actually looking at women's rights and LGBTQ rights in America. Um, it, it, it's not a steady trend upwards. It's, it's, uh, it's forward, back, forward, back, forward, back. Um, and I think the, the, the issue is like with gay marriage for us for, and for many people, my age, especially, it doesn't feel like, the most significant issue anymore, right? We're like, we sort of did that. We, we dusted it, like, it's fine, we can move on. But all of these things are based on precedents, are based on arguments around the constitution. That means they can all be undone by arguments around the constitution. And that's what's been going on with, um, with affirmative action as well. I mean, like I said, my, my lawyer friend was explaining this to me and you were even mentioning it. It's like affirmative action it, it exists to right historical wrongs, right? Period. End of story. But when it comes before the court, it becomes an issue of constitutionality. And that's a very different question. And that's that allows everyone to scurry around and have all of their big facocta legal arguments, <laughs> but they ignore the fundamental issue, which is redressing an imbalance that exists because black people were enslaved for 400 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we're, we're actually dancing around the issue and, and almost um, it, like insulating it by, by creating all of these legal arguments that take us away from the core 
rights that we're trying to to grant people that i think that's really the that's really the problem is that we we always allow these things to be determined by their their relationship to this old ass constitution that no longer is sufficient for our country right and for for our world to to tell us what to think and what to do if you can if the constitution grants it to you the constitution can undo it for you too that's the problem with it that's a good riff, man. Uh, by the way, I just like this kind of funny. He made fun of me for saying cockamamie, and he said fatakta. So uh, that's uh, <laughs> I think that's a well, well, I grew up on the Upper West Side of New York. Yeah, so you know, so there's, a there's, um, there's a little Yiddish right. in there. Uh, so speaking of counterattacks that have come on this front, uh, and it's another news item that I didn't even mention to you, I was going to mention, but I just read this in today's newspaper. Um, sorry about that, Bash. Uh, but I will uh, now tell you what it is. Retailers are, I'm not making this up, retailers are awash in Bud Light as right-wing boycott takes toll from today's business section. You can learn a lot, ladies and gentlemen, if you read the business section of the New York Times. They just, they just tell you what business is up to, okay? Uh, and uh, today's business section. And it's, um, so what was it, three months ago, uh, Bud Light had this idea that they were going to use transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney uh, in an Instagram post uh, with a bottle of Bud Light. And the reaction, uh, I talked about this in this show quite a bit, the reaction from MAGA was extreme. Uh, Kid Rock, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, every time I think of this, uh, he stacked, he put that out on his, I think his Instagram feed or maybe his Twitter feed, sorry, Kid Rock, I may have gotten it wrong, uh, of him machine gunning uh, cans of Bud Light. Machine gunning, okay? And then, and then he was like, fuck you, Bud Light. <laughs> oh, man, way to take a stand, kidster. And uh, by the way, you destroyed, I'll say it again, Sweet Home Alabama. It was a terrible song to begin with, and you made it worse. Sorry, I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> uh, and uh, but the, the, there's been a boycott uh, and the boycott is having an impact. Their sa- their sales continue to be. I thought, well, OK, th- this will last for like two weeks, maybe a month. A bash. No, no, we're in the third month of this. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the weird thing is uh, Modelo, which is also owned by An- Anheuser-Busch, is now the number one ranked beer uh, in America. So, you know, it's not like they're really hurting Anheuser-Busch. I mean, the dad yeah, company not- owns. <laughs> oh, we didn't think it through, Kid Rock. Better put some Modellos up there and shoot those, too. Uh, but the point is this. It's like a mini insurrection, Bash. And I'm telling you, it's like it's all together. I know you're going to say, oh, Ben, you're being a conspiratorialist. I think there's a connection between the Supreme saying that a graphic designer in Colorado has a religious freedom to openly discriminate against gay people and MAGA boycotting Bud Light because what? They try to treated the trans community as just another beer drinking part of the population. You get what I'm saying? Somehow treating the trans people like they deserve to drink beer like the rest of us <laughs> is a challenge to MAGA in a I, weird way. And so now they're, uh, they're going to bring down Bud Light and make them pay for it just the way that a uh, graphic designer is just going to take a stand against mm. gays destroying marriage. Your thoughts? I mean, listen, 
As someone who appreciates a good beer, anyone taking Bud Light out of this world is a-okay with me. <laughs> no matter what their fucking motivation is. Um, no, of, I mean, of course it's related. Of course it's related. It's all part of the same cultural, and I think minority, you know, groundswell of of anti-trans sentiment and the the trans issue is just you know it's um what's the word it's a, it, it's it's a tool it's a it's a distraction from other discussions that you know actually impact these people who are supposedly so disturbed by the existence of trans people if they're if they're fighting against trans people then we don't have to talk sorry if they're fighting against trans people, then we don't have to talk about income inequality. If they're talking about, if they're fighting against trans people, then we don't have to talk about jobs. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a distraction that riles up the dirtbaggery of in the nation to avoid talking about things that actually impact them and all of us. Um, and, you know, uh, would, would make the nation a, a better place. So, I mean, the, the Bud Light stuff is, I think what's pathetic about them is like they made the gamble, you know, they were like, we're going to do this. We're going to go out. We're going to, we're going to take a big step. And then when there was a backlash, they just like weaseled out immediately, like zero backbone, you know, which just goes to show how, um, how, how much the, the culture has come down to like tokenism and virtue signaling. You know, it's like if we put a black person on it, then it means that we're pro black or pro BLM. We don't give a shit about the, the rights that actually impact them. Um, let's just get the street cred from it. So, I mean, it just, it just makes it's, it's not surprising to me at all, but it confirms everything about the way, you know, I used to work in uh, for, you know, brand marketing and, um, and that whole world. Um, it's, it's as transparently, you know, spineless as, as you would imagine. I did not realize that. I did not know you were in marketing or retail, what have you. Uh, and I'm going to now take a little deeper dive into this article that is in the business section of the New York Times that talks about how uh, retailers are awash in Bud Light as right-wing boycott takes toll. In other words, they can't sell. It's, they've, they've cut the price and they still can't get rid of it. And so they're talking to one um, liquor store merchant and he said, Anheuser-Busch, which owns Bud Light, had made a mistake when its marketing broke what he called bar rules, quotes. That means, quote, no politics, no religion. He noted, uh, which is yeah, interesting take. He noted that his store has never allowed local politicians to put up signs in or around the store so as not to alienate customers. So, wow, I could riff on that one. But the notion that using Dylan Mulvaney in a promotional on Instagram is somehow a political act uh, akin mm. to endorsing, I don't know, Joe Biden for president. Uh, your thoughts about this, Bash? Yeah, well, and this is something that we talked a lot about at, in my job when I worked as a, a brand consultant, um, especially after the COVID pandemic, right? Because that had a big impact on the perception of corporations, of business, of their agility and their ability to get things done versus government, which is always in political gridlock and blah, blah, blah. But I think it actually goes back even further to the sort of Bush and Cheney era of, and Reagan, you know, kind of started it, of corporations are people, right? Corporations have rights. Corporations have minds and stance and take stances. And um, 
And that can be uh, very helpful for them when they're trying to cut their, you know, taxes um, and and agitate as citizens effectively. But there's a it's a double edged sword, right? Because it means as a as an individual, quote unquote, a corporation has a responsibility to take a stand nowadays. More people in my generation, around seventy percent or so, say they buy from brands that align with their personal values. Right, that's a huge change than the way it used to be. People didn't used to give a shit about what Coca Cola did or said. <laughs> they bought Coca Cola, right? Okay. And now people care. It's the difference, and because there's there's this new, almost existential role that corporations play in our society, and it's it's probably not all bad. I mean. You know, the Pfizer's, the Moderna's of the world, they did get that vaccine made. They did get it distributed when the government was, you know, twiddling its thumbs, didn't not knowing what to do. Um, or businesses can move faster in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think that means that they they suddenly have to, you know, put their money where their mouths are in a bigger way. And so when you do stuff like this, it is actually taking a political stance, right? Because to the consumer's mind, Bud Light is a person out there, a person doing something that has to align or not align with their worldview. So I don't know. I'm just I'm so fucking happy that these Bud Light packs are just stacking up in these stores and people are actually voting with their wallets because that's you know, that's what you get. Well, okay. So, wow. So just think about what you're saying. There's a, a, a little inconsistency and I have not forgotten Elon Musk. We're going to get to him after this, but yeah. I, I warned you, I told you this was a show of tangents. Uh, I love it. But, uh, okay. So follow me. So you start off by saying they should take, if you're going to take a stand, t- take the stand, don't wimp out. And Nike is the classic case of that. Uh, they stood with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and they just made it clear we're not budging. Uh, we're with Black Lives Matter, okay? Uh, and you could boycott us all all we want. Uh, and going back to what you said, seventy percent of the market uh, rewards political behavior, so they're getting rewarded for the stance they're taking. It's not like it's a threat, an existential threat. Um, however, your aversion to Bud Light is so powerful that even if they said. We're standing standing by Dylan, and we don't care if you boycott because we believe that trans people are people too, and they can enjoy beer. You bash would not go out and buy Bud Light like you would buy a Nike. So there, it's not that's because Ben. Easy. That's because I'm that, that's because I'm a connoisseur, and I wouldn't let Bud Light pass these sacred lips. No, I I I, it, I mean, yeah, I guess Bud Light like doing that would would mean something to me, right? Like taking a stand with Dylan Mulvaney and actually supporting her, that would mean something to me. Um but Bud Light is like but I guess because I work in this world of branding, I understand that many of these gestures are hollow to begin with and they're about selling product, you know? Bud Light is trying to get more queer people and more, uh, you know, liberal, woke liberals to buy Bud Light. That's why they're doing this, not because they give a shit about trans people. Yeah, that uh, I, I would agree with that one wholeheartedly. All right, let's move on to Elon Musk and Twitter. This this is in the same uh, newspaper. I've actually been following this story for a while. Just so you know, uh, Bash, I have a mini obsession with Elon Musk. We talk about him on the show all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, no, a little, little, yeah, it's just a little. 
I have a mini obsession with capitalism in general and uh, how rules are constantly being set and broken in the free market is worshipped uh, until some rich person has to pay for the free market and then they want socialism for themselves. Uh, and Elon Musk is a classic case of that because the electric car industry is widely supported by mostly blue states that have passed laws giving uh, consumers an advantage as essentially an incentive to buy an electric car. You would know that from Elon Musk's uh, political right. postures. Anyway, Twitter's new chief eases into hot seat. This woman must have the hardest job in America. Linda Yaccarino is her name. And you may not know her, but she's a big shot in the advertising world. She's an advertising superstar. And she took a job, I am not making this up, with Twitter. And she's the chief executive in charge of <laughs> advertising at Twitter, although everybody knows that Elon Musk calls the shots. She uh, was the former head of NBC Universal. Uh, and so now she's having like a contract dispute with NBC Universal about what she can do for Twitter, what she can't do for Twitter. But she gave a talk to uh, Twitter employees in which she said, Twitter is on a mission to become the world's most accurate real-time information source. I'm not making this up, Ash. I'm literally reading what she said, okay? don't So don't get mad at me. A global <laughs> town square for communication. We're on the precipice of making history, which sounds like something a person in advertising would say about a company that is the exact opposite of everything she said, beginning with accuracy. <laughs> Twitter fired anybody remotely related to the process of making sure that the information on Twitter was accurate. And, you know, and Elon Musk said, that's liberty. <laughs> you have the, the right to say anything you want, no matter how inaccurate, hateful, stupid. Well, forget stupid. Everything's stupid. Inaccurate and hateful. You have that First mm -hmm. Amendment protection right. So she's going to try to appeal to the Anheuser Bushes of the world, all the huge corporations, to come back to Twitter after they left Twitter. And these guys are like, huh, do we want to go to Twitter where they are like Nancy, 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 24 hours a day? Bash, help me with this. Like, I don't understand. You now you told me that you have a background in this. Help me understand the business model that this poor Linda Yaccarino has to follow to make sense of this. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't know. Well, the only thing that Twitter operates on, like any social media platform, is attention, right? And all of that, all of that Elon Muskery around freedom of speech, First Amendment, blah blah blah. All that does is drive more people to pay attention to him. So that's not that's the currency. That's what Twitter sells to advertisers, right? Um, and when she says town square, that's what really sticks in my sticks in my mind, because, it, you know, you have an image of for, or at least I have an image of like an 18th century town square where like everyone's <laughs> screaming the news and someone's getting, you know, hanged in the corner over there. Someone's being, you know, God knows what in the other corner. Um Town squares can be a pretty rough fucking place to be, you know? Um, but I think I think what she's trying to say there is that they're building it into this screamathon. And a screamathon is great for advertisers because it means more eyes, more wallets, you know, more conversions. Um that's how that's how I would read that. All right. So uh let's say you're Anheuser Busch uh and uh 
using your uh, town square analogy, were just burned at the stake uh, for <laughs> uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, would you say yes to Alinda uh, when she comes a calling uh, and asks for your uh, uh, advertising dollars? I mean, they probably, yeah. You know, like what, what's, what, what have they got to lose now? Really? Um, they've, they've, they've got to, and the fact that we're still talking about it, like you said, is crazy. You know, like this happened, what, three, four months ago, um, three months ago. And we're still talking about this thing. So it's actually probably, it's probably something that they can flip into a positive. Like if, if they take some step for the, the Twitter dirt bags, um, <laughs> and align themselves you know it's easy easy for that easy enough for them to do that but um but i don't know i think the 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 scarier thing for me is that no matter where you are on the internet like the whole mechanism is built to support incendiary inflammatory discussion you know like and and that and that's the that's the whole point of the of the town square too let's let's all get riled up and pillage yeah. something um <laughs> that's the whole that's the whole motivation that's the behavior um and that's i think that's that's actually the thing i wanted to talk about um was the uh was the those billionaires on the on the titan submersible and the whole reaction online to that was so shocking to me. I mean, first of all, the fact that the, the story got as much coverage as it did was insane, right? I mean, there's so much else going on in the world. And, and, of, and it's a very American thing that that story got as much coverage as it did. We didn't mention, but I am actually in the nation of France. Um, and I got two newspapers when the, that whole thing was happening. And on the cover of the French one was a big... Um, feature about deforestation and how it's at its highest rates in you know 30 years or something even after all of these climate accords and the new york times international edition was you know titan submersible debris finally located off the shore of whatever the fuck and it was like a, a very um revealing you know difference in how we approach um stories like that but uh, but my point is that story online, that was the town square pillorying these billionaires, right? Acting like acting like we're so much smarter than them, acting like they are such idiots for spending their 250 grand to go down to visit the Titanic, when really most of the people on the internet want to be them, right? Most people most people worship money to the extent that they believe that people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Jay-Z, Rihanna, all of the billionaires of the world are inherently better than them because they have money. Um, and the only reason that we were all so fired up about that story, about those five billionaires, was because we love to see them, we love to see the people we envy suffer, right? And that, that's what I thought was really going on there. It wasn't some narrative around the hubristic billionaires who pay this big thing you know like look how stupid they are money doesn't um money doesn't give you a better life no we just wanted to see them in the stocks and throw some rotten vegetables at them okay uh now i'm gonna riff on this too uh i i've been thinking about this and i'm gonna give a shout out before i do to a person who's very influential uh in my thoughts in this and that is the great the legendary basketball player kareem abdul jabbar 
uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar writes a weekly newsletter, and I urge everybody to read it. It's one of the most thoughtful newsletters that I get. Uh, the man has applied the, the wisdom that he has accumulated through almost 80 years of life uh, onto regular day, everyday news uh, items, including uh, this particular news item. Uh, and uh, so I always give credit, Bash, uh, when I, I, I always like wrestle, should I just steal the idea that look really smart or should I give the guy credit? But no, it was Kareem. Uh, and what Kareem pointed out is that this narrative uh, fit into reality TV America. Mm-hmm. From the moment it was announced that they had 40 hours of oxygen left. And so yeah. you're from the marketing world. So you understand a TV marketer. Oh, my God. 40 hours of cover. It's down to 38 hours. All right. Down to pull it. Pull it. Breaking news. It's at 36. So literally America could be like absorbed with how many hours left. Are they dead yet? Have we heard from them? <laughs> it's like, this is, uh, I mean, it was like, so I, uh, many of my friends in the leftist persuasion were like, this is outrageous. Uh, like all this attention on this and uh, not attention uh, to uh, the uh, the people who were killed uh, when it was off the shore of, uh, of Spain. And uh, this just goes to show you, even yeah. Barack Obama said this, uh, that we're obsessed with rich people. Uh, and I, obviously, to your point, we are obsessed with rich people. You're, that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, um, but I think that if it, if it's a similar situation and it had not been wealthy people and you put that time limit on it, think of all the stories like little boys, like the Boy Scouts caught in the, the caves. You know, it's like once you got that ticking clock and the experts are saying he only has four hours of oxygen left. That's like, OK, that's you got me. It's only four hours yeah. of my life, you know. So it's in this case, it's 40 hours. Uh, and so people could say, like, well, are they dead yet? I mean, that's that's. What Americans were saying, I don't know what they were saying in France, but that's what America, are they alive? Are they dead? And I feel it's reality TV go. No, no, no. I th- I think that's absolutely true. Like at the end of the day, it's good television, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's good television. But I think the difference from like the little boy stuck in the well is that these these people were not people. They were billionaires, right? We were not talking about these people. Like even the, you know, going after one of them, uh, they had a kid who was like going to a concert while they, <laughs> while they were in the submersible, which is pretty insane. Um, but we weren't, they, they fundamentally in that moment lost their personhood because they were billionaires. And billionaires are a category now for us. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's I, I agree with your point that, you know, it, and Kareem's point that, who obviously we're on a first name basis with now, um, <laughs> that it's like fundamentally plugging into that reality TV model of the attention economy. But I think there is something distressing about the way that we, we just openly mocked. And it was okay for everyone and anyone to mock and, and deride and laugh and sneer at these five admittedly moronic people, but people nonetheless who were dying in front of us, you know, like that says something pretty dark. And actually I was thinking about it. It's the difference between when it, you know, mock- mockery and uh, reveals a lot about a society, like how you mock what you choose to mock. 
Um, and it, it, it remi- this reminded me of the difference between the TV show Succession and the TV show White Lotus. Are you familiar with both of them? Yes, I'm really curious where you're going with this. Go ahead. I've so seen them both. The di- Go. Yeah. So, and they're both about rich people, right? They're both about, you know, they're both wealth porn in different ways. But Succession is wealth porn in the sense that look at these terrible people, but wouldn't I love to have huge, terrible problems like that, right? We're basically told that we should be watching these people because they're inherently interesting because they're rich. Whereas White Lotus is is mocking them, is is exposing their hypocrisy and showing how disconnected from reality rich people tend to be, right? And that's valuable to me. I think that kind of satire, that kind of mockery is valuable, exposing hypocrisy. But succession reveals the other side of America that is, it's the same thing as the Real Housewives. It's the same thing as the Kardashians. The, the, the base instinct that we all seem to share, which is just the veneration of cash and those who hoard it, right? It's, it's, our, it's our most fundamental, historically and currently, our most fundamental problem is that we are a plutocracy. And we, and we didn't always used to be, you know, we didn't always used to be. There have been glimmers of hope in American history where we haven't been driven by pure cash. But that's what this story made me think is like, we're all just obsessed with fucking billionaires over and over and over again in one way or another. And when they, when they act stupid, we're not making, fu- we're, we're, we're not like, we're not seeing them as people anymore. We're just seeing them as this like, non-human class of people who control society who don't deserve our sympathy when they're dying in front of us like it's just a really sick twisted and ugly little chapter of this year so far in my opinion all right wow what has a great riff by the way uh and um not sure i agree with uh 100 of what you said but i'm going to go back uh to your point about succession i completely agree with you in that point i stopped watching it after two years i refuse to watch it after more it's worship of wealth uh, i couldn't watch it after the first episode wow you I, I you lasted longer the way they mocked the bernie sanders character and they mocked lefties in general uh at the time when they're supposedly satirizing the wealth uh you you writers you the people who created succession are in love with the rich, powerful people who control our lives. And that's what that show emanated from start to finish. I couldn't watch it. I just, uh, and White Lotus, on the other hand, uh, oh my, I love White Lotus on many levels, particularly the second season, uh, yeah. Bash, because it used the wealth of the people to free them from everyday concerns so that we could zero in on the hypocrisy of human beings. Uh, mm. And uh, I just love, like, just the secret lives of people, how they say one thing and do something, uh, the secrets that they hold from each other, the secrets they conceal from their sons and their wives and uh, and the games that they play to promote yes. a different a different persona. I found fascinating. Plus, it was funny as all hell. And it was so stylishly made uh, and great acting. So I loved White Look, particularly the second season. The first season was a little choppy. So fucking good. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I'm going to recommend uh, a book to you and um, one of my listeners that I just read by Elizabeth Catton, who is a brilliant novelist. Uh, it's called Burnham Woods. And uh, the evil person at the heart of this book is a billionaire. Uh, 
but to your point, everyone wants something that that guy has. And mm. part of his uh, attraction is, as you pointed out, we all want either what he has wholly or him to give us a little bit. And so yeah. in the book, they're constantly negotiating with him to get something, even though they know they're selling her soul. And I won't give away anything other than say it's a brilliant book. She's one of the great writers, one of the great novelists of her generation, Elizabeth Catton, C-A-T-T-O-N. I agree with you. Billionaires have emerged as sort of like the new enemy. Like I watch Hollywood do this. Remember it was Russians for a while, the Russian, the evil Russian right. was the like, <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to pick someone that they could be the enemy and then, you know, they wouldn't get in any trouble with it would be no boycott. Uh, and uh, so they <laughs> they settled on Russians and then it was like rich Russian oligarchs, uh, you know, mm. for a while. And uh, but billionaires are not, and listen, man, we have inequity problems in this country that are huge and are like the fundamental. So I can understand, Bash, why people are hating on billionaires to a certain degree, uh, even yeah. though. I want to be one. Your thoughts? <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, listen, I have no like special love for billionaires, but I think it, I think what it reveals is that it's easy for us to to classify them as this sort of nebulous um, category of, you know, enemy, right? That they're, they're the ones running the world into the ground. They're the ones who have this. And uh, to, to, to some extent, I agree that I agree with that. But there's another issue, which is that we are all complicit in the system that creates those billionaires. We are all believing in it and propping it up with that belief, with our veneration of money, with our belief that the, 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 the purpose of a human being is to become as rich as possible and do it, quote unquote, all on your own. That is, that is just as ugly, just as dangerous, and we don't want to face up to our complicity in that. And I think that's, my, that's what this revealed to me is that people are so quick to jump on billionaires being idiots but they just want to be them just as much just as much as the next guy if you if they offered you their fortune tomorrow of course you would take it and then you'd be one of them you wouldn't change it's not like we're all fucking communists who care so much about poor people no we just we just want a convenient enemy and we don't want to have to face up to how our beliefs enable them to exist in the first place yeah that's a good riff too and uh, we'll close where we began, because even though we have other things we were on our agenda to talk about, we're running out of time. I knew this was going to happen. I'm feeling heated. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, and uh, no, we'll close where we started. Uh, we're all complicit in it. I'll remind you of one of the Supreme Court rulings that came down uh, that did away with Joe Biden's declaration that he was going to do away with student debt. And so the inequities that exist in our country are going to be perpetrated. <laughs> For, they're going on, baby. They're not going anywhere. So thank, you could thank MAGA. Meanwhile, you got the boycott Bud Light. I'm outraged. <laughs> you know, they're outraged at Dylan and Bud Light. But oh yeah, I agree. Let people be in further debt. So it's like 50 years of their life paying off a student loan. Uh and meanwhile, yeah, all designed to keep the poor poor and yeah. and keep the keep the gap wider and wider. All right. Uh, so one more time, promote your podcast so that you can make a fortune and become a billionaire from your podcast. Like I plan to <laughs> come from mine, my humble little podcast <laughs> in my attic overlooking the alley. Yeah. Tell people what it is and where they can find it. And maybe you'll do a NASCAR show about the only gay driver. Go. 
No, yeah. I, the reason I got into the queer history business was to make money. That is definitely, <laughs> that's definitely what my motivation. Um, you can listen to Historical Homos on every podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever. It's also available on a streaming platform called Deku, which is available on Amazon as a channel. Um, so you, we filmed these episodes. You can get the full visual experience, way more jokes, way more fun. Um, but yeah, please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell a gay, tell a non-gay. Everyone's invited. Uh, Historical even, Bud Light, even Bud Light drinkers, <laughs> you're invited as well. Especially okay? Bud Light. Especially yeah. Bud Light brand ambassadors. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Bash. Appreciate it. And uh, welcome to the Ben Jarofsky show. And once once you're on, you're generally invited back. So get ready for that phone call. Um, uh, so I want to thank Bash very much. Uh, and also producer Chris as well. Uh, an outstanding job as always. And I think Bash will agree with me when I say producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, at Benny J Show, and like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Podcast on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.